The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Siemens posed a 56% rise in first quarter net income while booking orders of over 22 billion euros. The CEO, Wallenbrook, tells CNBC he sees a mixed picture in one of the German firm's biggest markets. China is going for renewables and they are electrifying. So this is a business which runs quite well. It really goes back to manufacturing food and beverage, chemical, automotive, machine builders. And this is where we hope for a pickup then in the second half of the year. Arm shares surge as much as 40% in extended trade after the British chip designer lifts its outlook on strong AI demand. Major shareholder SoftBank rides on the coattails, booking a $16 billion gain on the earnings beat. Disney hikes its guidance and makes a string of new announcements, including a play at gaming with a $1.5 billion bet on Fortnite maker Epic Games. This represents probably our biggest foray into the game space ever, which I think is, is not only timely, but an important step when you look at the demographic trends. And deflation concerns deepen in China. Producer prices dip for a 16th straight month, and consumer prices suffer their steepest fall since 2009, adding pressure on Beijing to step in. And the S&P 500 posts another record close, now up more than 5% this year and tantalizingly close to a new milestone, just five points shy of 5,000. Morning, morning. How are Good you? Morning. I just, I'm a, there's a flurry of, we're like swans. Well, you're like a swan. I'm like an old swan. But like, there's a flurry of things going on. Our, our, our box, our red, we have two red strips with um, all the brand new information coming out. On, and it just went a little bit mad at six o'clock. Plus, I, know, I found right. out something about an interview which I prepared, which I didn't need to as so you well. you know plenty about an interview that you're not doing. <laughs> well, I, I'm very well prepared for that interview that I will not be conducting That's now. great. We're looking forward to How it. How are you doing? You great questions are you going to have? I've got some great questions. Let's get to some earnings. It's busy today, isn't it? Yes, so it it's is. a Thursday. It's that sort of super Thursday feel on the earnings front again. Siemens first quarter orders at 22.29 billion euros. This versus consensus seen at 20.5. So beating on that company consensus. 18.41, the number on revenue for the first quarter. This is uh, just a shadow under the 18.58 billion that the market had anticipated. Industrial profit in the first three months, 2.72 billion euros. This is higher than forecast. So a bit of a mixed bag here on some of the numbers you're getting from Siemens today. It has confirmed its four-year guidance of increasing revenue by four to eight percent when adjusted for currencies and uh, portfolio effects. That's still a fairly wide range, isn't it? As we talk about a uh, four percent split between the, the lower and the upper end here. Keeps its outlook for digital industries. Uh, still sees annual revenue growth of zero to three percent in that business margin at 20 to 23 percent in terms of net income that has hit the tape at 2.55 billion euros this is well above the analyst forecast of 1.85 so a real beat on that net income level for the first quarter let's just break it down for some of these different industries now revenue growth in most industrial businesses led by double digit increase at mobility 
so again, coming through in the mobility space, and we've heard a bit about that during the uh, earnings season, moderate decline in digital industries. Uh, outlook for smart infrastructure still sees four-year revenue growth at 7 to 10%. Can well, I tell you a secret? Yes. Well, I'll tell the viewers, you know the secret. I'd prepared for this next interview. But I hadn't read my email properly. And it's already been done. And Annetta <laughs> has spoken to the CEO, Roland Bush, and asked him how he sees the environment in China. In terms of China, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, there are multiple reasons for China, our Chinese market being weak. Uh, number one is the um, private consumption is not picking up after Corona. Another one is a weak global economy. This, of course, has an impact on an export country like China, which has a knock-on effect on Germany too, because we are exporting to China. So it's hard to say. We hope that in the second half of the year um, there will be some, uh, some stimulus and some life. It also depends on the government if they come up with any kind of stimulus for stimulating in particular the private consumption. Hard to say. Um, on Saturday there's Chinese New Year. Maybe after that we know a little bit more. How much of a burden is the Chinese real estate crisis uh, for your business as well? Because it kind of triggers down the whole food chain, I assume. We know that in the last years, many years, Chinese economy depends to almost 30% on real estate. And uh, this is just too much. It goes down. Um, it's a controlled uh, reduction, but yet it has an impact also on the private consumption at the same time. So. Regarding our business, um, we are not so much in that area. We are more in the manufacturing space, large companies, small and medium companies, but also electrification. Electrification is still doing well. Uh, also, China is going for renewables and they are electrifying. So this is a business which runs quite well. It really goes back to manufacturing food and beverage, chemical, automotive, machine builders. And this is where we hope for a pickup then in the second half of the year. Numbers crossing. Yes. Elsewhere. Yes. SoftBank. Yes. Have you got them? It's exciting, yes. yes. Uh, what we've got uh, for SoftBank Group, nine-month group, net loss, 458.7 billion yen versus a loss, a uh, much steeper loss previously of 912.5 billion. So some mileage made up here. Pre-tax profit, 264 uh, billion yen versus a loss of 290 previously. So again, uh, picking up some territory on the pre-tax level here. We need to break it down, arm and ex-arm. Because obviously arm, which is what 90% owned by SoftBank? Exactly. Still. Has had the most... St and we'll come to this in a few moments' well, time because we've got Renny Harsley. Just, just what do you want to X out? There's a ton of portfolio companies here that you have to X out if you want to X out arm. I mean, well, this is the whole line okay. share of the company. Yeah, it's every I, portfolio I company to bundled out. together. There's a company called Arm, which is absolutely... You know, we keep getting told, picks and shovels, picks and yeah. shovels. And we'll come to Arm in a few moments' time. They won't take any of that out of the read. But they are absolutely knocking the ball out of the park at the moment in terms of their architecture, their chip architecture, chip architecture, and it's a shame we haven't got Arjun Ron for this one, but he's doing other things. The ARM V9 chip design architecture, which is embedded in device in powering AI applications, now make up 15% of the company's overall royalties, up from 10% last quarter. Now, if you extrapolate that growth trajectory, that is absolutely enormous as well. So ARM is absolutely, uh, and ARM, I mean, okay, I'll do, should we just tell the viewers, have a look at this, the shares surged as much as 42% in extended trade. We'll come back to the read. But 
So, yeah, I do want to take out ARM because I think there's a lot of stummers in there as well. And there's a lot of other right. technologies and companies that just are not performing for the SoftBank portfolio. To be fair, can we take out Alibaba as well and the remaining stake? Because that is the, there's swings and roundabouts, right? So some of the companies sure. have been great, some have not been great. And yeah. Alibaba, I think, was in its time a real rock star for the business. But ARM is now that company that is proving to be the big one that's driving SoftBank. Alibaba, you know, that stake has been sold down to an extent, but still in there. And it's been challenging, I think, if you look at the Chinese uh, economy and uh, the, the Chinese consumer. For me, what is very difficult around reading the, the SoftBank earnings is that there are so many different parts of this business. It does give you a take on what those capital conditions look like. Don't forget financing, thanks to the SVB story, has been an issue over the last number of months. So the cost cutting that came into these businesses was, was really central. What that's done to the profitability of these portfolio wow. companies and for SoftBank overall is key as we get more detail okay, this morning. I'll, I'll, I'll step up to the plate. You've been, you've been dangling a carrot of contention there, so I will step <laughs> I up. I've been waiting for you to swipe it. Oh, I will. Challenging financing. We're not talking about small community banks here. We're not talking about regional. We're talking about um, technology uh, and we're talking about venture capital mm -hmm. and we're talking about Palo Alto and we're talking about rival investors in the Middle East as well. There is zero problem finding financing for the right product in the right, um, with the right entrepreneur in the technology sector. Zero problem whatsoever. There is so much money sitting on the sidelines in VC. There are trillions of dollars sitting on the sidelines in private capital as well. I'm not talking about, SVP is, is, is a million miles away from the big venture capital for the amount of money that Masayoshi Sun and SoftBank can raise. Yeah, the problem is that they've got so many portfolio companies. If you look at just the Vision Fund 2, well, exactly not even putting point. money in. They've got a load of portfolio companies that aren't working. portfolio companies is what they've got. So it touches the size of some of these portfolio companies. person on this planet who can run 250 companies? No. Do you know? No. You're, you're, in, fact, in fact, I'm going to come back at you. This is brilliant. But, but why does it matter what? if I know one person on the planet who runs 200? Because because uh, you are the greatest proponent of breaking up conglomerates that I've spoken to over the last year. And do you know what? And many times you're absolutely right. Well, how can you possibly concentrate as a company on 250 different assets? Well, don't forget SoftBank's a big organisation. 250. And you've got a, a ton of different uh, executives in charge of each portfolio company. But my point is that if you've got such a wide dispersion, that the industry trends do matter because it's going to touch the sides of one of these companies. And I think the trends you've seen in the industry have been you cannot keep Steve on Jobs, spending money. Do you think you need Steve to cut Jobs back on costs? made Apple the company it is by concentrating on 250 different products? It's Google actually dominating the world because it's got. Beast. It's not different a because it's all about technology, beast. Karen. It's all about technological success. Yeah, as but well. it doesn't create its own. It invests in companies that come up with ah, the goods. Okay. It's very different to an so Apple that comes up with the power its own technology. Law. Let's move on to the power law as well. And I'm funny if I talked about uh, the power law with Adina Friedman on my Nasdaq on my panel. That she's the boss of Nasdaq, of course, and she knows a thing or two about technology companies. On the power law, you are not going to make money out of most of your VC bets. Most of them are, they're going to be nothing. Going to, but one or two, maybe three or four in a really good year, are going to absolutely knock the lights out as well. So what we're saying here is out of those 250 companies, maybe 25, maybe 30, maybe 40 are going to do really, really well. But the fact of the matter is, uh, the 250, you've got to assume that a large triple digit amount of those are going to be absolute no-hopers in the end. 
Right, but a ton of them actually. So what, so what is SoftBank? Is it a VC perform. company? Is it an incubator? Is it a late stage? I mean, it's all things is the point. But a lot of those companies, what's the point? Yeah. Well, I think you're you're seeing such a huge ownership in the sector do you by want to go back to the financing, likes of SoftBank. Do you, think, do you genuinely think SoftBank would find any problems financing any project it wants? No, I think the portfolio of companies that SoftBank Speed has Dahl, invested Riyadh, in Speed has Dad, had Palo some Alto. issues. But there's not an endless pool of cash, which has there been the story for the last number of months. There is an endless pool I of cash. I don't think there is. I think that's changed. Elon Musk, do you think he's going to... Do you know what? Elon Musk is, is, is basically... Again, Elon Musk can do... He's saying, if you don't give me this 56 billion, if you don't give me my shareholder rights as well, A, I'm going to move out of Delaware for a start and move down to Texas. B, I'm going to incubate my new technologies outside of Tesla. Do we honestly think that Elon Musk would have a problem raising money outside of Tesla? I think that there's been a, a genuine change in the industry. So the cash bleed that you've seen for a lot of these portfolio companies, that's changed. There's been a very strong message. You've seen it over, yeah. even over at Meta yeah. that Zuckerberg has been spending there. less over the last 12 months. No, the money's not there. The money Investors is there. It's are, just earning no. five and a quarter percent on their JP Morgan account. That's the thing. The money's there, but the, 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 the opportunity is so much greater for the people to leave it on deposit now rather than risk it on risky ventures where you're not going to get the return you hope. I agree there's a new concentration going on on profitability. It's only because the alternatives to, for where you put your cash has gone through the roof. Uh, more important point, would it have been better for SoftBank to hold on to its NVIDIA stake? I mean, as to what they have in the portfolio uh, versus what they don't. Didn't you raise that would with have been better uh, Kathy Wood as well? I'm sure you yeah. asked her that. Yeah, I did, actually. <laughs> did, yeah. Anyway. It's the one that someone thought it was worthwhile selling So we've done 12 right? minutes of programming. I haven't done my Roland Bush interview because it's been done. And we haven't read the, the prompt for a while. So shall I carry on doing the latter? Yes. <laughs> Love that. We've got a whole rundown that we stepped aside I'm for. I'm so glad we get up early so we can start this show at 6 o'clock rather than a later time. Unlike other shows. Uh, Arm surged as much as 42% in extended trade after a surprisingly bullish forecast with its outlook for the top and bottom lines coming in above Wall Street estimates. Uh, that move also boosted the aforementioned SoftBank, which we may or may not have talked about, which has rallied as much as 10% in Japan. There you go. Outsized reaction to Arm. But forget about the other 249 companies. Uh, SoftBank also held on to around 90% of the British stock's... Um, uh, assets, uh, asset value, uh, market cap, there you go. When it debuted in September, Arm share price has rallied more than 20% from its closing price on the IPO day when it was offered to investors at 51 bucks per share. Now, the tech giant uh, sees its fuller EPS figure coming in at $1.22 per share. That's almost 15% higher than analysts had penciled in. Uh, our US colleagues, very lucky, going to be speaking to the CEO, uh, Rene Haas, at 1600 CT. I I'm going to watch that, actually. I'm going to tune in for that one. I'm fascinated. Uh, that's the first on CNBC. Karen, um, should we argue about Disney next? Why not? There's a lot in it. Uh, huge oh move God. into gaming. I think we're going to agree about everything on Disney. Uh, for me, it was the move into gaming that was absolutely stunning. And I'm sure nah, I like the Swifties news. Always. <laughs> Disney shares rose nearly 7% in extended trade as the company topped first quarter earnings expectations. The House of Mouse posted an EPS beat of $1.22 versus analyst expectations of $0.99. Cents. Revenue for the quarter came in at $23.5 billion in line with last year. No, you've fallen for it. What's that? Our producers and I are having a constant row. I don't know if you were around for it as well. Every time they mention Disney, they're trying to put House of Mouse in there. Yes. And I refuse to read it. <laughs> So just... And I fell for the trap. <laughs> Sorry, Karen's on my side. Karen's on my side now, production team. That's, you missed my big... <laughs> Disney also announced plans to take a $1.5 billion stake in Epic Games. 
The media giant plans to work with Fortnite Maker to develop new games and an entertainment universe, Great. which would allow players to actively engage with Disney-owned characters and stories. Speaking to CNBC, Disney CEO Bob Iger was enthusiastic about the company's latest venture. This represents probably our biggest foray into the game space ever, which I think is, is not only timely, but an important step when you look at the demographic trends. Coming up on the show, uh, Caring is set to post full year earnings with the luxury brand expected to disappoint on earnings and sales. Charlotte's in the building. She'll break down the numbers for us. Uh, plus, we'll go through Maersk's earnings report with the CEO, Vincent Clerk, uh, as the shipping giant navigates pressures in the Red Sea. Arabile, he's in the building as well. Well, he's probably just left now. Uh, he's going to speak to the Unilever CEO, Hein Schumacher. Uh, we'll bring you that one. Uh, we'll do that one in two hours' time on the dot. How about that? Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Shares in New York Community Bancorp closed over 6% higher after a volatile session that saw the bank fall more than 14% at one point. The troubled lender appointed Alessandro Danello as its new executive chairman in a bid to steady the ship. Danello has said the group would cut its exposure to the commercial real estate sector while also suggesting it could sell non-core assets in a bid to improve its CT1 ratio. Patience, <laughs> not something I'm very good at. Patience appeared to be the theme of the day Wednesday as a raft of Fed officials outlined their approaches to potential rate cuts. Now, the Federal Reserve Governor, Adriana Kugler, said she was pleased with the disflation, disinflationary progress thus far, but refused to commit to a timetable for when rate cuts could start. The Boston Fed President Susan Collins said she needed to see more evidence before lowering rates, saying she thinks it's likely to start easing policy later this year. And Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin urged for a patient approach. Speaking to CNBC, the Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari outlined his approach. You know, there's been a lot of debate over the last few days on the speed with which we would then cut. Uh, if the labor market continues to be quite strong, that would give me confidence to say, well, we can dial things back quite slowly from here. If we saw a material slowdown in the labor market, then that would say, hey, maybe we need to start cutting rates a little bit more quickly. And so that's that's why it's the the speed of the reductions that the labor market, I think, is going to have a big influence over. Right, moving on. Kashkari also set out how, it's interesting, how many cuts he expects this year. We're going to put out a new dot plot in March. Uh, you know, we'll see where I'm ultimately at, given the data that we get between now and then. Sitting here today, I would say two to three cuts would seem to be appropriate for me right now. But again, I don't want to prejudge things, but that's, a, that's my gut based on the data we have so far. Oh, another bitter pill for the market. You know, if, if it only had said, oh, maybe three to four, that will, oh yeah, you know, maybe slightly more than we said originally in the last dot plot as well. But no, two to three, that's a killer for them, isn't well, it? They're not swallowing it, they're spitting it out. I mean, what have we got on the S&P 500? Fourth positive session and five, fresh all-time you're high right. on the S&P right. 500. I mean, a record. And you are, that is the big change, isn't it? So all of a sudden, market, 
even though it's really trying to push hard for, you know, 100 plus, 140, 150 was the, obviously the turn of the year, what they were looking for. They're taking it really well. Or, or actually, and our next guest will have a comment on this one as well, are certain stocks taking it really well? And actually that is a blighting our view, is it? fogging our view up of the rest of the market. And I know that uh, Paul Gamble's got a big view on that. It's funny how just a couple of stocks can do a lot for the market, right? Just, yeah, just they, a handful they of them. They have to be a certain couple, I don't They're they? quite magnificent, really, aren't they? Oh, but, well, they were. I don't know. What, what's five? Well, the magnificent the, the seven minus two now. Yes. Two, yeah. China's producer prices declined for a 16th month in January, while consumer prices saw their biggest drop since 2009 underscoring the depth of the challenge that Beijing faces and reflating the world's second largest economy. China's producer price index fell 2.5% in January from a year ago. Slightly better than expected, though. Consumer prices fell more than anticipated and for the fourth straight month down 0.8% on the year. On a monthly basis, though, CPI climbed 0.3%, although that was slightly weaker than forecasts. Paul Gambles is with us, managing partner, MBMG Group. Paul, thank you very much for joining us. We were just musing that the market is still going up, although there's been disappointment around the time frame for interest rate cuts and just how many could be forthcoming from the Fed. And some of the earnings have been lacklustre in the fourth quarter as well. So why is the market rallying? Yeah, good morning. It's a, it's a great question. Um, I guess because, um, you know, there was definitely some kind of justification for AI-related stocks to uh, to do well at some point, uh, but as with all bubbles, it's really hard to know whether uh, you know how far that's still justified or whether we've gone so far beyond the justification. Our um, our suspicion is that uh, is that we're now you know deeply into uh, into bubble territory. And again, when we talk about stocks doing well, as you were just saying, you've got the uh, S&P, you know, 494, and then you've got the six that did, you know, incredibly well last year and uh, and ended up producing two thirds of the S&P gains between them. So um, it, it's, it's if, we, if we look, there's a lot of worrying signs. If we look more broadly at uh, across uh, asset markets, if we look at economic factors, there's a lot of, you know, really worrying signs out there but uh, there's still a lot of liquidity still flowing around. And, um, uh, you know, there's this massive fear of missing out. So people are still jumping on the magnificent six or seven. Paul, if we look at the earnings season, I mentioned it being lacklustre, but there have been some standouts and something we've been debating since the start of the show, the cutbacks you've seen in the tech sector actually yielding results at laser-like focus and profitability and trying to just sort of turn around the psychology for a lot of those tech investors. Are we seeing some of them? I mean, Uber was the latest recorded its first annual profit and that stock has been one that's been bouncing with the rest of the market. Are there some stars out there, which is why we are seeing some appetite again for investors to get back in, even at these levels? No, look, clearly we are. But but again, um, it, it's whether the reaction to that is proportionate or not. And we suspect it's not. Um, you know, again, going back to this story about 494 versus versus six. Um, if you uh, if you look at the uh, the earnings growth, uh, the you know, year on year earnings growth, then uh, as of last week, we were looking at, you know, plus 50 percent year on year for the six and minus about 10 and a half percent for uh, for the other 494, or at least those that are reported. So clearly, you know, this is this is uh, the worst case of uh, you know bad breath in a market since uh, since 2007 apparently uh I, it, the question is you know 
are those um are those six justified are there any other cases that are justified and what about the rest of the market and and our worry is that the as i say the six have just got out of control it's all about fear of missing out it's all irrational it's all bubbly look bubbles can keep getting bigger and bigger for a long time before they burst so we're not saying that uh, that they're they're going to burst tomorrow but you know if you look at earnings season the most interesting thing for us was the bank reporting. And, you know, the banks are having a pretty rough time of it. And the reason why that's so important is obviously banks are one of the conduits of uh, credit impulse into the economy. Bank lending, you know, um, seems to be falling off a cliff very suddenly. It had a real spurt in uh, November, December, pre-Christmas, and now it seems to be falling off a cliff. Well, the uh, the numbers before that were bad. We then had this spike, and now we're going back to bad again. That that suggests there's not uh, there's no real source of uh, funding going into the economy if U.S. government doesn't carry on, you know, spraying money around like a drunken sh- sailor on shore leave, which is what it was doing for the last six months. Of last year but there doesn't seem to be any way that it can continue doing that for for this year the continuing resolutions don't seem to allow that so we, we look like we're, we're you know heading into a very different scenario in 2024 than the last six months of 2023 and therefore you know we've got to take uh, with a pinch of salt any any earnings that look good Paul, I had all my questions prepared for you. Now you've just blown it with that last answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up them. I love chatting to you. I really do. Lending is not falling off a cliff. People are getting used to the new levels of rates and actually finding mortgage applications are pretty steady. Uh, I looked at the Sluice survey this week, which came out as you would have looked at at 2 p.m. Eastern on Monday. And yes, um, there is no doubt about it. There is a moderate tightening and a moderate demand decrease. But actually, the percentage of respondents reporting tighter standards declined in the latest survey as well. So I think you've got, dare I say, a little bit of hyperbola, which I'm not immune to myself. It was not falling off a cliff. Do you want to respond to that bit first of all? No, OK, it's a fair point. Um, lending is definitely softening. Um, from what we're seeing, you know, demand is is, is softening. The, 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 the real worry, I think, is that if you look at consumer um, borrowing, then in the November, December period when it spiked, most of that was driven by credit cards and revolving credit. And, uh, you know, that isn't sustainable. Mortgages are a very different story. But uh, but it was really credit cards and, uh, and revolving that was the big driver of that uh, of that November, December pickup. That's really gone flat. It's gone very, very soft. Falling off a cliff might be too strong. That's gone very, very soft so far this year. So that suggests, you know, spending into the US economy is definitely softening from consumers. If we look at uh, the other source of consumer funding into the economy, savings, well, you know, savings are at their lowest level for for many years pre-pandemic. So savings are no longer there to bail the economy out as they did last year. So it really means there's a massive burden on government to, to fund the economy in 2024 um, with the you know political situation in the states election year dysfunctionality in uh, in the various houses i i don't see that we're going to get massive government support for the economy running up to an election uh, i i i i see what you're saying about the cbo uh, forecast for fiscal problems as well for whoever's in power i get that can't talk about that now i've only allowed, got one question i'm allowed and I want to break down something you've already said and something you've written as well. You say we're in dangerous territory, we're in bubble territory as well. And yet you were saying it's the six stocks that have led us higher, maybe five. We, we can yeah, debate the point there. But the fact of the matter is, if it wasn't a banner year in 2023 for a whole host of stocks, and we know now that Europe, for instance, is trading at a all-time discount to the United States. And if within the United States, 200, I beg your pardon, 495-ish stocks haven't performed aggressively, 
Are you saying that actually the bubble is only in a very succinct, very tight area and actually the rest of the market is nowhere near in bubble territory, given what you've previously said about actually the discount that the rest of the S&P is trading at and that Europe is trading at to those stocks? Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I think there's pockets of value all around the world. I don't think it's, um, you know, just the rest of the S&P or it's just Europe. You know, if you look at emerging markets, uh, particularly, you know, you look at, look at China in the doldrums, there are definitely pockets of value around the world. The real question is, is for, for us, is how are those reasonable value stocks going to behave if we get a reaction in the um, in the bubble seven? And, uh, and, 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 it depends how bad the reaction is. If um, if it's a, if it's just a minor correction in uh, in the in the you know Google's and Amazon's and Microsoft's, if it's just a minor reaction in those stocks, then actually it, it's probably a reasonably constructive setup uh, for, uh, for for the rest of you know for, for, for European markets, for the UK market, for uh, for the S and P four hundred ninety four, and certainly for emerging markets and for China. But if we get a really big setback for the uh, for the bubble stocks well you know you know what happens when we get a crash need everything correlates to one and so um, we're going to see you know companies that haven't benefited from the uh, from the bubble actually you know suffering on the uh, suffering on the bubble burst because because that's what always happens so um, it really depends how bad and how soon the correction comes on the uh, on the bubble stocks thank you for listening to squawk box europe express for more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.